0: This is the Victory Podcast. Every week, we'll share an inspiring message about God's grace and forgiveness for you wherever you're at in life. Your victory starts now. You don't need to be here. What I mean by that is no one is pressuring you to be here this morning. There's no... um, There's no political pressure, there's no financial pressure, there's no social pressure for you to be here this morning, and that's not how it's always been. The story is told of the famous business guru, Peter Drucker, when he came to the United States, I believe about 1950s or so, and when he got here, he went to the bank for a loan. And the bank didn't ask him for his proof of residency. They actually asked for his proof of church membership. And he said, why do I need to show you that I go to a church? And the banker said, I don't trust anybody who doesn't go to a church. Why would you be any different? So there was financial pressure used to be in this country to be an active member of a church. There also used to be political pressure. I remember researching this or watching a documentary on on, uh, John F. Kennedy when he was uh, campaigning for the presidency. And there was all this talk in his campaign uh, that he didn't go to the right church. And they wanted to make sure that he gave the impression that he was an active Christian, active churchgoer. They thought that was crucial for his political campaign. Also, there used to be a ton of social pressure. The, the, the church used to be the place where everyone congregated, where, where, where the community met together, where you built your relationships. There was a lot of um, social pressure to be part of the church. But that's not how it is anymore. Um, there's actually, It's actually the opposite now. There actually might be a disadvantage for you to be a part of the church. If, if, if you tell people that you are an active member, you're a church-going kind of person, Uh, you might might miss out on certain job opportunities. Some companies might wonder if your values will match up with the company's values. I I know one woman who actually had to leave her Bible-believing church uh, because she was concerned that it might hurt her political campaign. Uh, She might lose votes for being an active churchgoer. And then socially... What are you missing out on right now because you're in church? You might be missing out on something that your friends are doing, something's going on in the community, uh, some sports activity. There seems to be actually now disadvantages, actually a risk for you to be here this morning. So many people are wondering, why go at all? right? If, If there seems to be more risks, more of a disadvantage to come to church, why go at all? And that's a pretty good question. In fact, a couple months ago I was at a conference and, and a leader in our church body, uh, this network of churches called the Wells, he told us some startling statistics. He said in, in the mid-1990s, we had about 400,000 people in our network of churches throughout the United States and throughout the world. But since the mid-1990s, we've lost about 8,000 people a year. And he said that by the year 2065, if something doesn't change, there might not be a network of churches called the Wells. People are leaving. They're wondering, why go to church um, if there's so many disadvantages, so many risks? Why go at all? My question is, um, does that have to be the same for us? Uh, Do we have to follow that trajectory? Does victory of the Lamb, and you, do we have to follow what's going on in our society? Do we have to follow that trend? I don't think so. But what's going to happen is we first need to change our view of the church. Today is the first sermon in this sermon series called Changed. And I think the first thing that we need to change is we need to change the way we think about the church. And, and, and so the first question we want to ask is, what is the church? What is the church? And to answer that question, we're going to go uh, to a, a section of Scripture called Acts on the day of Pentecost. Now before I read to you from Acts, I want to give you a little background to Acts and Pentecost. See, what you need to know is that the Bible is not just one book. The Bible is actually an encyclopedia of books. And and there's four books uh, called the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, that explain the life of Jesus. This historical person who lived, died, rose, ascended to heaven. And then there's this book called Acts. Um, Actually, the whole name is the Acts of the Apostles. And this book describes how the church was born. How the church was born and it became this movement starting from a small group of people to change the world. And that started on the day of Pentecost. Now what is Pentecost? Pentecost is actually an ancient Jewish harvest festival. Kind of like our modern day Thanksgiving. Where God commanded the people that they were supposed to come back to Jerusalem and celebrate the harvest festival. And so what was going on on Pentecost is that the, the city of Jerusalem was bustling with people. They're all celebrating this harvest festival. And this is the day that really God gave birth to the Christian church. We're going to be able to answer the question, what is the church? So let's go to Acts chapter 2. It's on, your screen, on the screen. It's in your worship folder, and I'll read. When the day of Pentecost came, they, that means this small group of Jesus followers, they were all together in one place, some sort of house, room, something. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, other languages, as the Spirit enabled them. This is weird, isn't it? It's just kind of strange, isn't it? Um, That the the group of people were gathered together, and there was something like fire that, that separated and came to rest, and they started speaking in different languages. Now, if this happens here right now, if fire came into here, started separating, landing on each of you, I'm running for that fire extinguisher in the corner started spraying you guys down, right? This is bizarre. And they started speaking in other languages. In fact, uh, it's so bizarre. I preached on this text for, I don't know, almost a decade. And usually when I get to this section, I just want to skip over it because it's so weird. But here's what I found. Here's kind of a, a, a principle. When you're reading the Bible, and I want to help you read the Bible. That's one of the jobs that Pastor Bill and I have. We want to, want to help you figure out this ancient book, how it applies to your life. Um, when you're reading the Bible and you come, a, come against something that's bizarre and you're tempted to just kind of skip over it, that's not a time to skip over Actually, it's a time to dig deeper into it because there's a reason there's something bizarre. and There's probably a deeper meaning. In fact, if we can figure out what the tongues of fire, this fire has to, what's going on here, we will actually be able to answer a question, what is the church? And so let's go back in the history of God's people, let's go back and, and look through the Bible and see if we can see other parts of the Bible where fire shows up. And I want to go back to the second book of the Bible. Um, the second book of the Bible is actually Exodus, because uh, it's, it's about the exit out of Egypt. See, God's people were in Egyptian slavery for 400 years. And then God designates this man named Moses who leads them out of Egyptian slavery through the parting of the Red Sea. And if you're not familiar with that story, uh, go rent the, uh, the movie Prince of Egypt, the Disney movie. It's a great uh, explanation of what, what happened there. He takes them out of Egyptian slavery and Moses goes up on Mount Sinai to meet with God and get a message from God. And God gives Moses the Ten Commandments, how he wants God's people to live. But he also gives them um, uh, blueprints for a church. Now to be honest, uh, this is the part of the Bible where we usually stop reading. You read through Genesis and you get to Exodus and all of a sudden you get to the blueprints of a temple to a church and it's like, this is some pretty dry reading. You know, how long the poles are going to be, how big the structure is going to be. But it's actually really important because after Moses puts together the tabernacle, it's called, this tent, this church, guess what happens? Fire comes down from heaven And lands on the tabernacle. And it was a very visual way of God saying, this is where I am. If you want to meet with me, you want to be cleansed of your sin, you want to know who God is, you need to show up at this tabernacle, at this tent, at this church. And it became clear to the people because they actually took this tent with them when they walked through the wilderness. As they walked through the wilderness, this tent was with them. That's where God's presence was. This is about 1400 B.C., about 500 years later, they've entered into uh, Palestine, and the third king in Israel, King Solomon, he takes Moses' blueprints, and he builds another t- tent, another church, but a-, a fixed structure called the temple. In fact, if you go to Jerusalem today, um, that-, that temple foundation is still there. The-, the temple's been destroyed, but underneath is still there. And, and he took those blueprints, and he built a temple. And guess what happened after he built the temple? Fire came down from heaven and rested on the temple as a way of saying, God was saying, this is where I am. You want to meet with me? You want to know who I am? You want to be forgiven of your sin? You want a relationship with me? You need to come to the temple. And that's what they did. Um, Israelites, no matter where they were, they were scattered throughout the world. They would come back, like on days like Pentecost, they'd come back to Jerusalem, come back to t- the temple. When they would pray, they would pray towards the temple because God's saying, this is where I am. This is how you meet with me. This is how you're forgiven. This is how you're cleansed. That's 900 BC. 900 years later, Jesus is born, lives, dies, is raised to life, ascends into heaven, And now the book of Acts, day of Pentecost, 10 days after his ascension, 50 days after his crucifixion, the early Jesus followers are gathered in a place, and guess what? Fire comes down again. But this time, it doesn't go onto a temple, a church, a building. It separates and rests on people. It separates and rests on people, and God was now visually, in in no uncertain terms, saying, you might want to meet with God, you want to be forgiven of sins, you want to be with me, you want to be with my church, you got to be with my people. This fire is actually explaining to us what the church is, and so if you want to fill in the blanks, there's a, in your, in your uh, church insert, in the, in the, there is a fill-in-the-blank, and the first fill-in-the-blank is, that's so you guys don't fall asleep on me, right? (laughs) So the first fill-in-the-blank is, we are the church. The church is not just a building. It's not just an organization. It's God's people. When we gather together, we are the church. And that's what God was explaining when his fire, the strange thing is actually not so strange. God was coming down on his people and said, you want to meet with me? You want to be forgiven of sin? You want to meet with God? You got to get with my people. We are the church. We're God's temple. We're his people. Church is not a building. It's not an organization. It's us as people. Now, when you let that sink in for a little bit, all of a sudden, aren't we kind of immediately intimidated? Because temples, churches, these are holy places. I don't feel so holy. I don't know about you. I don't feel so pure and clean like a temple should be. Some of you here, you came in here and you've been struggling with addictions for so long and you're hoping that today's the day you'll finally kick it. Maybe you're struggling with uh, drugs or alcohol or, or, or pornography and you're just hoping that maybe you kick because you don't feel clean and holy. You feel dirty. And, and, and if we're the temple of God, we're the church of God, you might be thinking, well, that's somebody else. Or or some of you are thinking, you know, I just can't shake what I did 10 years ago, 20 years ago. I've tried, I've tried to cleanse myself, and I just don't feel clean. I feel dirty. There's no way I'm the temple of God. Some of you said, I've dealt with all that stuff, but still, I thought I'd be better by now. You know, I wish we weren't arguing on our way to church this morning. We're going to uh, the holy place, I'm supposed to be holy, I'm supposed to be the church, and we're fighting with each other, right, on the way to church, or, or maybe last night, Right? And so that's how you feel if you say, all right, I hear the Bible says that we are the church, that God, God's presence is among us, I'm the temple, but I don't feel like the temple. Well, then you got to meet with Jesus. you got to know Jesus. See, what made Jesus so radical 2,000 years ago is because if you were a Jewish rabbi, a Jewish teacher... Uh, what you would teach the people, if somebody would come to you and say, you know what, uh, Rabbi Jesus, um, I'm, I'm dirty. I want to meet with God. I want to be clean. I'm, I'm a ceremonial unclean. Usually what the rabbis and the priests would do, they would point you to the temple. Go to the temple. Go to the temple and the priests will clean you. God will meet with you in the temple. But you know what Jesus said? Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. That's why so many people... He's so radical. He wasn't saying, go to the temple, go to the building, meet with God. He said, come to me and you can meet with God. And you know what Jesus did? Um, usually if there's somebody unclean, ceremonial unclean, uh, morally unclean, you would stay away with them until they spent some time in the temple and got cleansed. Jesus went around touching people who were unclean, laying his hands on people who were unclean and making them clean. Ceremonial, morally, making them clean. Usually people didn't work on the Sabbath, the day designated for the Lord, except for the priests, except for at the temple. You know what? Jesus didn't stop working because he was saying in no uncertain terms, I'm the temple, I'm the true temple. So you want to be clean? You got to get with Jesus and that's why we're having the Lord's Supper today. You come here with all of your your baggage, all of your sin, all of your uncleanliness, all your guilt, all your shame, all the things you hope were different about you and Jesus touches you through the Lord's Supper Um, as we remember that that body was stretched out on a cross as blood was poured out to cover over our sins that he really rose as a proof that you are forgiven and I think it's even more powerful sometimes too to confess that to each other to, to speak to one another about your sin about what you're struggling with talking to a pastor, talking to another Christian and let them tell you what Jesus says about you you're cleansed, you're forgiven it's for you now if you believe that, and you should, because it's true, you're cleansed, you're, you're holy in Christ, you start to believe, I'm the church, I'm the temple, and now maybe the next question is, or the next thought that comes here, alright, I'm the church, I'm the temple, I just got a few more hours of sleep on Sunday, I don't need to go to church anymore, right, I don't need to get up early on the morning, uh, morning on Sunday morning, I can, I'm the church, I'm the church wherever I go, so I don't need the church anymore, we had confirmation the teens here in the first service, and I said, "Not that the teens would think that. You know, other people would think I want a few more hours of sleep. Not you guys." And and they kind of smiled. But but that's that's not you're not the first person who thought that. You know, I'm the church. I don't need the church building. I don't need the I don't need the church to know God because we are the church. That's true. But you're not the first person to to think that. Uh, it seems like when. Uh, the Jewish Christians started to believe this or understand this, that, that we are the church, that we're the temple of God, that they stopped coming to church. They stopped gathering together in the building. Uh, they they said, we don't need to go to the temple anymore. We don't need to Sabbath anymore. We don't need to rest anymore. We don't need, need this anymore. Um, and so somebody wrote them a letter. We don't know who wrote this letter, but somebody wrote a letter to the Hebrews in the Bible. It's the book of Hebrews. So it's a letter to the Hebrews. And, and here's some words of encouragement. It says this. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. So you don't have to be here, but the Lord is telling us what's good about us gathering. We gathered, let's not give up Meeting together. Let's not just go with the rest of the crowd. Let's not give up meeting together somewhere in the heaven. But let's gather together and encourage one another and build one another up. That's what we do here. I think of it this way. Uh, growing up, my father would grill out on a Weber grill with charcoal, the way it's supposed to be done. <laughs> right? So, and he, he, would, he would grill out on, on this Weber grill, and he had this metal ring um, that he would stuff full of charcoal and newspaper. And, and almost immediately, because they were so close together, the charcoal would heat up. It would heat up and, and heat each other up. And then he would remove the ring, and then he would spread the charcoal over the whole Weber grill, and it'd heat up the whole grill. And that's what it's like. We are the church wherever we go. But once a week, we, we gather together and we heat each other up. We gather together and we look at each other and say, you still believe this? Everybody at work thinks I'm crazy, but you still, yeah, I still believe this. You still believe, yeah, I can't believe it. Um, and, you know, last week I screwed this up. And, oh, but Jesus forgave me. And we, we get together and we encourage one another and build one up and say, God loves you, you're forgiven. And we encourage one another up and we heat each other up. And then we lift the ring and we spread out into our community. We're the church when we're together, and we're the church when we spread out. And so we are the church, but we're not just going to go to church. Here's what I want you to think about. You actually be the church. And if you're filling in the blank, this is our next fill in the blank. Be the church. Wherever you go. Be the church. Wherever you go. Now, there are a few things that we do every week when we gather together. I was think about five things that we do when we gather together. Um, One of them is we read the Bible when we come here. Another thing that we do when we gather together is we pray. Another thing we do is we sing. Another thing we do is we serve. And another thing we do is give, give an offering. That's about the five things that we do when we're here, right? Now, I want you to think about those five things. Is there any one of those five things that you almost only exclusively do here at church? That maybe you, the only time you read the Bible is here at church. The only time um, you maybe pray is here at church. The only time you sing worship songs is here at church. The only time you maybe serve one another is here at church. The only time you maybe give is here at church. Well, I want to challenge you to be the church, not just for one hour a week here, but in the community. So let's, I'm going to challenge you to do this. Uh, the, The next fill in the blank is I usually blank. I usually, so for me, if I was filling this in, I usually give. Only in worship. My wife and I, we've been doing this for quite a while. We try when we get paid to give the first 10% to the Lord, not as a command, but as a way to say thank you to God. But I was thinking about this as like the only time I'm really giving. And so I want to say, I want to be the church with my money. Not just giving here, but I want to pay for people's gas there. I want to help the poor. I want to give not just here for this one a week, I want to be the church community. Now, if maybe for you, it's I usually only read the Bible at church, so I'm going to try reading it at home, in the community. I only pray here at church, and so I'm going to pray at home or in the community. I only maybe sing, so I'm going to sing now in the, at the home or, or in the community. I only give, so maybe I'm going to give. So I want you to put something down. I want to challenge you. What are something that you usually only do here for one hour a week, and now you want to do uh, in your life? And here's what I want you to do. Do it right away. You know when you like think like, oh, that's a good idea. Maybe someday I'll get to it. Try to do that like on your way out. If, if the only time you sing worship music is here for an hour, find the Christian radio station, turn on Spotify, sing a worship song on the way home as just a way to convince yourself, I am the church, not just for one hour a week, I'm a church in the world. Um, when you walk out of your view, you think, you know, the only time I'm generous is here at church. I want you to find somebody and pay for their gas. I want you to find somebody who needs help, and you help them financially right away today so you can convince yourself I am the church not just for one hour a week, but I'm the church every day of my life. This is super important. You know why I think it's so important? Because of what I ta- talked about in the beginning. The whole world is watching you. Your coworkers, your neighbors, your friends, they're watching you and they're trying to answer this question and you're like, I know something's missing in my life and I wonder if those Christians have it. And they're watching you like a hawk to see if what you do for one hour a week has any impact on the rest of your week, anything else that you do. And not that we do this for a show, but as you live these principles out outside of this building, people are going to look at you, and what's going to happen is you're going to turn around and you're going to find this group of people following you here to worship together, to gather together. And I think that's what's going to change the trajectory of the church. That's what's going to change the way the church is going. If people see that this is not just somewhere I go, this is who I am. So remember what is the church? It's not a building. It's not just an organization. We are the church. So go and be the church. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we we come before you with all of our shortcomings. We came in here today maybe feeling unclean, unworthy, and yet you called us a temple for the Holy Spirit. Forgive us, Jesus. Cleanse us. Touch us with your forgiveness and love and make us clean. Then help us to live lives worthy of what you've already called us. Lord God, I pray that as we walk out of here that we not only are the church here for one hour a week, but we are the church in the world. And when we do that, your name will be glorified. Amen.